The Jets are now 0-11. Sam Darnold is regressing. And Adam Gase is lying. We break down another pathetic 20-3 loss to the Dolphins and react to Adam Gase's bizarre post-game comments on play calling. How is he still the head coach today? We also look back to some good Jets days with Sexy Rexy at the helm as former Jets defensive end Mike DeVito joins us. All that and more, it's next on a Tank for Trevor is Still Alive edition of Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome back in, everybody, to Gangs All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown, Brian Costello. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Brian Cos. Former Jets defensive end Mike DeVito is going to join us later in the show. But Cos, 0-11, they lost 20-3 to the Miami Dolphins. Sam Darnold regressed. He came back and he looked worse, even with his top three targets out there. You're almost running out of excuses at that point. But the big story, cause we have to start with is Adam Gase. And, you know, we got you got your phone. I got Twitter up in case, you know, someone beats you to it while we're recording. Just in case while we're recording, they do fire him. But it, it's just insanity what happens after the game. And, you know, the whole Dowell login versus him calling the plays. And he insists he did not take over play calling. The video clearly shows that Dowell Loggins, like you said, was planning, you know, his bus trip or his bus ticket. Uh, and, you know, he didn't have a play sheet in front of him. Here's what Gay said, uh, courtesy of uh, Jets videos from SNY, when uh, Rich Samini asked him about that. I didn't take over. We did this. We've done the same thing the last four games. We, we were watching Dowell for the whole game. He wasn't doing anything. I mean, he was just standing there. He, he tells me <laughs> it's not hard. This is not hard. We go through it, the drive before. Hey, these are the three plays. I do the third downs. So what happens after the three plays when you have a series? Because we were watching one where Dow was talking to Frank Pollock. He wasn't calling the plays you were. What part of the game was it? Oh, God. I want to say that was the third quarter. Yeah, when we got down, then I I was trying to do some of the two-minute stuff. He's a deer in the headlights, cause I mean, blatantly lie. Like he clearly was calling the play. Dow Loggins, what? I mean, three plays here. We're gonna get three plays, and then I'll do two minutes stuff. What does that even mean, cause This blows my mind. It just, it's just a lost cause. And obviously, the fans and me, we, you know, tank for Trevor. Great. You want to keep losing? Case is probably the best guy. But principal. I mean, if there was a time to get a head start in the head coaching search, it was this morning. Yeah, I, I thought you might get that, Jake. Honestly, after the game, my gut was telling me this is it, that, that they were probably going to move on, but they haven't. And we're, we're recording this at 930 Monday morning. And, you know, that's if they were going to do something, I think it would have been done by now. Of course, they're, they're not allowed in the building right now. So maybe maybe it can be later, but. I don't think they're going to make a change, um, but yeah, it was, you know, beyond, let's start with the game first. Let me start with the game. They get the Sam Darnold back. They have the three receivers. You're ready to go. They drive down the field. They kick a field goal in the first series, and then that's it. That's all That's all they do. They had 10 first downs in the game, Jake. And perhaps the most damning thing for Adam Gase is when I saw the 10 first downs thing, you know, I was scanning the sheet after the game, and I'm like, whoa, 10 first downs. I'm like, I wonder when the last time they only had 10 first downs is. Well, it was last year. <laughs> so it was against against the Eagles last year, 
And, you know, he had Luke Falk in that game. But, you know, there's too many of these horrible marks on offense that are in the Adam Gase era, and this is supposed to be a specialty. So I think we've all come to the conclusion he's gone at the end of the season. I guess Christopher Johnson is just saying, I'm going to wait it out. Why start now? But you now have three other teams that are looking for a head coach, and I've already started, right? The Lions, Texans, and Falcons. So while you can't do any interviews right now with, with guys that are employed, you can start doing research and start doing, you can start talking to agents and you can start laying the groundwork for that. And I think I've said all along with you, Jake, is a scenario. I'm not a big fan of firing a coach in the season, but one scenario I am is when it gets late in the season. And if you've made the decision and you're ready to start your coaching search, go ahead and pull the plug. And so that's where I was with that. Then the post game thing, I mean, it was just bizarre. I, I've seen people describe it as heated. That wasn't heated to me. Like, I think it might have gotten heated if we were in person. It's hard to get heated on a Zoom call, Jake. That's a very 2020 sentence from <laughs> me. But, uh, you know, it was just he was kind of insulting our intelligence. Uh, you know, I think you heard that from Rich's question of saying Dow wasn't doing anything. I mean, the way this went out, Chris Mortensen reported before the game that he had player sources tell him that Gase took the play calling back. So we were all kind of focused when the game started on the sideline and Dow didn't have a play sheet in his hand. So how is he calling the plays if he doesn't have a play sheet? He, he had his arms folded for most of the time. And Gase is sitting there with the, you know, back with the play sheet over his face, like we've seen for so many times. And we didn't see for a few weeks there. So it was clear Gase was calling the plays. I don't know why he lied. I, I don't know if he's trying to protect Dow Loggins. Like he feels like it's bad for Dow that he took the play calling back. Who cares at this point? Like that's his right as a head coach if he wants to do that. I understand that's going to be, you know, that's going to get a lot of attention. I think the bigger story was the play calling itself and just not being able to get anything going. And Adam Gase is going to be gone, Jake. The, the bigger question is Sam Darnold and – you know, if they if they do end up somehow winning a game and they lose this tiebreaker to the Jaguars, then they have a decision to make because Trevor Lawrence to me is a no-breaker. Justin Fields is not. Sam Darnold looking like he did yesterday, it just, for me, it confirms that he's not the guy. In the words of Mike Westoff, guys, get the exterminator in here and clean house. I am done with Sam Darnold. I'm done making excuses for him because guess what? You had your three guys. You had your top three receivers. That's most of his uh, passing yards went to those three guys. A majority of his 187 went to them. And you know what? I know he had a couple backup offensive linemen in there. The Alex Lewis saga we don't know about. Uh, Gase didn't really say much about it. He just was inactive and it wasn't uh, for any injury. So we that was a big mystery to us. But listen, you had your guys out there. You had your receivers. This is what we said. We want to see Darnold with the receivers. He wasn't going against the 85 Bears. I know the Dolphins have been good. And associate producer Alex Camerata, you know, isn't the happiest person, even though they're 7-4. and four, But And I know their defense has been good. Flores is, you know, a godsend right now. But this isn't the 85 Bears. And they gave the ball in their own territory to the Jets on a couple of fumbles. And the Jets still cannot score. And you want to talk about the three plays that Loggins hands them. You, you know, fourth and one run up the middle to, with your backup offensive lineman with Frank Gore had to be one of them. The classic... Uh, original beautiful play calling on fourth and one. I mean, that just summed up the Jets season. On fourth and one, they went backwards on a simple run up the middle. It just lacks creativity. There's no adjustments made throughout the game. Like you said, field goals start the game, nothing for the rest. It's not like you didn't have chances. You did. And he kept, and he said another thing he said after the game, we're close. You're close. You lost 20 to three, Gase. What, what close game are you looking at? So I don't know, Kaz. This is just a disaster. And I think the Sam Darnold there 
era is clearly over. And that's really why Jets fans are like, please, Jaguars, win one more game. Because <laughs> it, it got interesting with the Jaguars against the Browns, Kyle. Yeah. They almost won. The Jets fans were about to get a... Uh, Get uh, the Jaguars, you know, Christmas presents early here. Get some Cyber Monday deal. Send them a TV. I just ordered a new Toshiba. Uh, I don't know why I want to watch the Jets bigger than the 32-inch I have with 43 inches. That's a big mistake. Yeah, you should be getting a smaller TV. Yeah, I should have got a 16-incher you know, or something. Put them on the little black screen. Black and white. Yeah, black and white. Throw it back to put some Joe Namath highlights on there. But, Kaz, um, you know, it's it's bad, and I, I think Darnold's done here, and we're going to see him the rest of the year. But it's quite telling that this offense looked far better with Joe Flacco than it did with Sam Darnold. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they had five touchdowns in the last, you know, two weeks with Flacco, five touchdown passes. So, And I just think, I, like I tweeted during the middle of the game, if this is about winning, and I'm not sure if it is right now, Joe Flacco should have been playing quarterback in the second half. After that after that interception Darnold threw, I would put Flacco in if I want to win the game. If this is about evaluating Sam Darnold, then of course, yeah, you, you keep rolling him out there. But to me, nothing like we've seen – I think it's what, 33 games of Sam Darnold, something like that now. Five games is not going to change my opinion of Sam Darnold. It shouldn't change anyone's opinion. If he suddenly plays well down the stretch, this is the this is a trap teams fall into is seeing things in December and thinking they're real because funny things happen in December. Teams have a lot of injuries. Teams maybe have playoff spots locked up. You know, Geno Smith finished 2013 strong and the Jets were convinced he was the guy. Can't be fooled by what you see at the end of the season. So I don't need to see much more of Sam Darnold. And honestly, I think all you do is hurt his trade value if you're rolling him out there because I think, you know, the more he's exposed, the, the less people want to trade for him. I think the, the idea of Sam Darnold is better than what you actually see from Sam Darnold. So it's amazing to me, Jake, how bad he's been, Sam. He's making rookie mistakes again with a couple of those picks. It's every every time he goes out there, he makes something a mistake that a first year quarterback will make. Cos Jay, Jay, he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since the Colts game. And I know he missed four games. So it's not like he's played all these games, but he's he's played plenty of games in that span. He's played, I think it's five games or something in that span. That's September. He hasn't thrown one touchdown pass since then, and he hasn't had a multiple touchdown pass game since the Ravens game last December. That's when indoor so, dining was open till midnight. It's been forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago. So I don't see it there with Sam Darnold. I know we see we didn't even get the one great play. Honestly, yesterday he had a deep throw, but I didn't think that was an amazing throw. So it, it's it's bad. It's as bad as it's ever been, Jake. I feel like we can. There's years where you you get people get hyperbole going and oh this is as bad as it's ever been and this is the worst team i've ever seen well nope it's not hyperbole this is the worst team i've ever seen and i gotta think this is probably the worst team i'll ever see i I can't imagine it's gonna get worse than this but um you got five more weeks it's amazing you know everything about 2020 has dragged jake and the jet season is right there with it like this is five five weeks left is amazing to me doctor yeah and we're somehow we're gonna take you through this whole way we're gonna i don't know if Kaz is gonna make it in i don't know if i will we have no hair left to pull out of our heads so that we don't have that uh, we I mean, have- we need to we need to do like a Christmas gift episode, Jake. Maybe something like that. We we can you know. Yeah, we'll do the eight nights know. of Hanukkah or something. We'll we'll give out a yeah. Hanukkah present each night. Uh, you know, maybe we'll act out scenes of a musical. Bring Mark Sanchez back on and do like <laughs> Romeo and Juliet or something. Or talk about your all time backfires. Or I'm Re- out there. You lose me there. I'm out there. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Maybe we'll have Rex Ryan. Rex will do something. I don't know. We we'll have to shake it up. But man, this is going to be a tough month. You know, it's getting darker at like four p.m. It feels like ten p.m. these days. And then when it hits 10 p.m., everything's closed. So, uh, you know, you got a family and kids, but me, my social life is out the window. So, you know, darkness comes early. 
literally and for the Jets season. And, you know, the, the Lions are four and seven and they got rid of Matt Patricia. They got rid of GM Bob Quinn. Obviously, that seemed to be a long time coming, but it's more of the principle by Jets fans at this point. It's like, yeah, we want to, you know, want to tank for Trevor, get that first pick, but God damn. I mean, what what does it take to get this guy fired? I mean, I know you're going to keep strutting him out there, but you're also stunning, stunning the development of some other players because I think the problem, too, and we've discussed this, is I don't know if they have the confidence that Greg Williams, they want him to coach a whole month with his team. Do you think that plays a big part of it? I do, and I, I think, Jake, when, when Greg Williams made that comment in October before the first Dolphins game that, you know, it wasn't all his fault that the defense, the scoring, he basically blamed the offense. That did not go over well in Florham Park. And I think that pissed off a lot of people to where if they even were, if they had any doubts about Greg Williams, that confirmed them that he wasn't the right guy. I don't even, at this point, it's five games. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't give Greg Williams a job because I don't think he's earned it. I would give somebody else. Denard Wilson's a good coach that coaches the secondary. Frank Bush is a good coach, coaches linebacker. Sean Jefferson, wide receiver coach. I'd give one of them, you know, here you go, five games. Go ahead. I, I don't think it's, I don't think they're stunting any growth right now, Jake. I, everyone's playing all these younger guys are playing i know the frank gore thing drives everybody crazy but right ty johnson is not part of the future of this team either it's not like p ryan isn't playing because of gore i agree with you though i understand like just wanting gates to be gone and how how does he keep getting away with this every week am i gonna hear him say after a game cause we're close we're close you are not close you're getting crushed they were the last two weeks jay before this game the chargers and patriots game were close this week was a complete step backward all year he has kind of said, I, I want to get my, you know, I haven't had my three receivers. And okay, you got your three receivers and your quarterback, and you, get, you scored three points. Like, that to me was why I was like, after the game, I'm like, he's done. Like, Christopher Johnson, I said, okay, I gave you your shot with your with all your pieces there. And, you know, and, and everyone plays with backup linemen, Jake. Everyone plays. So, two backup linemen, I get it. But everyone in the league is playing with backup offensive linemen. So, that's not an excuse. You know, like you said, Sam Darnold's out of excuses and Adam Gase is out of excuses. It's just, I think I think if the Jets could push a button and end the season right now, they'd do it in a heartbeat, but they got to keep playing. And to your point, I think the most interesting thing for Jets fans now is watching the Jaguars score. Yeah, for real. That's what I, mean, I was doing. I had, you know, I had red zone. I was, I had, you know, checking that Jaguar score. I'm like, are they going to do this? Are they going to do this? Do the Jaguar schedule here. See what you think. They're at the, at the Vikings this week, at the Vikings this week. You think they can win that one? That, that's their one winnable game, really. And the Bears. They then can they beat get Mitchell the, the Titans at home, loss. at the Raven, at loss. the Ravens with who knows what's going to go on with the Ravens at this point. Still a loss. Whoever's um, playing. The Bears, that's Bears at home winnable. and then at the Colts. The two winnable games are the Vikings and the Bears, but the Vikings are playing better and they're trying to work themselves in a race here. The Bears, you know, were just a disaster still with Mitchell Trubisky. I know they, you know, try to fight back late, but they still lost by two scores. Um, so you hope that they beat the Vikings. That's at the Vikings or the home game versus the Bears, where, you know, maybe they'll have a couple thousand fans. They'll have the six feet apart in the swimming pool, whatever they do with masks on uh, in the pool in Jacksonville. But uh, those are the two games. Other than that, yeah, the Jets, Raiders, Seahawks, Rams, Browns, Pats. I don't think the strength of schedule is going to move enough where the Jets win the tiebreaker at this point um, because, you know, the Jets have arguably a tougher schedule than the Jaguars, although the Browns 8-3 and three is a little deceiving. I don't think they are that good. They've kind of just creeped away but with a few still, wins here. But, but it still counts. The record still counts record for strength of schedule, Jake. Yes. So, yeah. Still you know, it's counts. like it's like Alex's Dolphins. They are actually 7-4, and four, even though Alex is acting like they're 
four and seven this morning. Yeah, Alex, explain yourself because you should be, you know, you should be ready for a ticker tape parade with how good they've played this year. Well, when you've been a Dolphins fan as long as I have and have seen losing after losing after losing, you kind of just err on the side of caution. So this year, yes, while I'm happy they're seven and four, that was not a great win yesterday against the Jets. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick running around out there, he's struggling to score. He did throw two touchdown passes, but come on. You're the evaluating Jets. wins. You're seven and four in a season that you were expected to go five and eleven. There's That's no true. such thing as style points, Alex. Like, who cares? You're like the team. I like Brian Flores and the coaching staff. The defense is certainly very good. There's no issues yeah. about that. Just still, big question mark. If two is really the guy, if the offense can move the ball as well as they should, it's two has played what three games, four games. Give him some time, games. bro. I've seen one playoff game in 15 seasons, so you can't blame me. I'm in the same boat as the Jets. I don't know why. Coach, just, coached by Adam coached Gase. By Adam Gase ironically, exactly. So. I cover. I covered that game in Pittsburgh. Yeah. What What happened from Gase to Miami to Gase? Did you guys like when you were Dolphins fans? Did you guys think the same about Gase, or you liked him, or indifferent? We actually liked the hiring because we were promised that this was the quarterback whisperer for Ryan Tannehill, and he was somebody that came from Denver with Peyton Manning. But I mean, turns out. He actually won 10 games in his first season, and then yeah. they go to the playoffs. But, uh, I mean, after that, it was just uh, all downhill. Yeah, I mean, what killed Gase in Miami was Tannehill tearing his ACL. Yeah. Because then he, was, he didn't play the second – he missed the whole second season. And in the third year, he was not himself and, and had a shoulder injury too. So. And how about Devontae Parker has developed into a top wide receiver? Wasn't wasn't that way with Gase, was it? Yeah, Parker was no. injured. He's finally now starting to – Yeah, he's, yeah, he's hurt the whole time with Gase. Yeah. Yeah. A trivia question. Who was the Dolphins starting quarterback in that playoff game? Matt Moore. Matt Moore. There you go. Stumped no the cops. Stumped the cops today. So I, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one better. Matt Moore scrambled in that game and got absolutely destroyed. Like, yeah. the, like you got to look it up on YouTube. One of the hardest hits I've ever seen. I thought he was dead. I'm like, this guy is out. And he ended up coming back into the game, which was amazing. You should be in a better mood. If I were you, I'd be jump seven for four. Yeah, you could find me running through your local brick wall if I if the Jets were seven and four uh, with this team. So take it and run with it. And, uh, you know, 10 wins, couple couple more wins. They could be that wild card team. It does look like the Bills are going to lock up the division. Josh Allen got hurt. I thought it was serious at first, but he came back in the game and they squeak by the Chargers, who find new ways to lose by one possession every week, although they lost by two possessions because they uh, had no idea what they were doing in the final minute there. Just some hard coaching. But the Dolphins are in good hands. The Jets are not. And, uh, you know, we'll talk more about the Jets' next game against the Raiders on Thursday. But coming up next, it's former Jets defensive end Mike DeVito right here on Gangs All Here. Just lose, baby. Joining us next is a defensive end that played six seasons with the Jets from 2007 through 2012. He was a key part of that elite Rex Ryan defense that helped get the Jets to -to back-to-back AFC championship games in the 2009 and 2010 seasons. He would then co-play for the Chiefs from 2013 through 2015 with Andy Reid in his first season's coaching in Kansas City. He now co-hosts the Three Point Stance podcast and can be seen breaking down the Jets from time to time on SNY. He's not related to an actor with a shared last name and the first name, Danny, who watched Arnold Schwarzenegger have a baby in the movie Junior, but it's the University of Maine's own Put Your Lobsters High in the Sky. It's number 70, Mike DeVito. Mike, it's Jake Brown, Brian Castell. Welcome to Gangs All Here. How are you? 
Man, I'm fired up, ready to go. You guys, I, I, that's, that's better than my morning coffee right there. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, the morning coffee I have might have helped me uh, read that because, you know, it was a rough morning, <laughs> rough, rough day after watching the Jets, rough morning waking up here on a Monday morning here in New York. Thanksgiving leftovers, all that, trying to uh, hang in there. Welcome to the show, man. We're glad to have you. You felt like you kind of were an underappreciated player with the Jets like everyone wants to talk about Bart Scott and the likes of that defense but you know you put up some good numbers there and a lot of people uh, respected you as a teammate and you know obviously it worked out well because those teams we missed those teams that made the playoffs you know I really appreciate that and I think what it, what it was for me that really helped was Rex Ryan's defense right it, it allowed me to play a role where I wasn't you know, I wasn't expected to make the TFLs and the sacks and, and keep doing all those things. Obviously, that stuff was good. But my job was to fit the defense, to take on double teams, to have good form, to, to not let, you know, my linemen get off on Bart and Dave and those guys. And, and that's something that I was able to, to thrive in, was just doing doing my job. And I really I, I enjoyed it. And so I, I appreciated the, the uh, sort of the no-name. I remember one year the, the media was calling our defensive line the no-name. You know? and, and it's just, it's kind of the style that Rex Ryan's defense. I mean, it's just uh, you're, you're in there and you're, you're holding up guys and holding up double teams and, and fitting the run and making it so these guys are a lot more athletic, you know, get paid a lot more, can run around and make plays. And, and I, I embrace that and enjoy that. And I took a lot of pride in the fact uh, of knowing that if I got done on Sunday and I went back and looked at that film and guys like Bart and Dave and those guys had a good game because I was holding up my guys and doing my job, I took a, a lot of pride in that. And it's good because I couldn't have made it as a, some explosive player. You guys know I wasn't exactly J.J. Watt out there. So, uh, so it worked out well, and I really missed my time in New York. Those are some of the best years of my career, uh, especially, you guys know, 2009, 2010, going to those playoff games and, and doing all that. That was a lot of fun. So I missed my time in New York a lot. Yeah, well, Jets fans miss your time in New York too, Mike. It's been <laughs> it's been since 2010 since they've been back to the playoffs. It's hard to believe it's been a decade uh, with no playoffs. And I mean, I think Jake, like you think back to those teams, and like you said, there's a lot of guys that that Revis was kind of the headliner on that defense, and Bart obviously because of his mouth got a lot of attention. <laughs> but like that front line of Mike and Sione Bahuha was another guy like Mike that didn't get a lot of accolades, but like just did his job. And Sean Ellis as well. And when you saw David Harris making all those tackles, it was a lot, a lot of times it was because of what those guys did up front. I'm curious, Mike, what was it like for you? You know, you had um, Eric Mangini your first two years of your career and then getting Rex in, who Rex's specialty was defensive line. That, that's where he made his bones in the league. What was it like for you having a head coach who he coached your position group? Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, Rex was just, I knew from the second we started working with him that, he understood the position. He understood the defense on another level. And it was really, really impressive to watch. And so whenever he would come into the defensive line room and, and teach us up, which was often, which you, obviously you don't see much, right? You don't usually see the head coach in position meetings. Uh, but he was in there teaching us up and schooling us up. And that was, that was huge. And so I had the benefit of my first year with Eric Mangini, who was really about studying the game, right? It was all about high football IQ knowing the offenses I was playing against, knowing the down and distance, the tendencies and all that stuff. So Mangini got my brain right. He taught me how to see the game, how to play the game smart, which was key for me, again, because I wasn't, a, I wasn't an athletic player. I wasn't some guy. So I had, I had to get my advantages elsewhere. And so that was studying the game of football. Because in my first years, I got just indoctrinated, right, on how, on how to play defensive line, how to learn how to study offenses. And now Coach uh, Rex Ryan comes in in 2009 
and he teaches me how to play defensive line, right? So I'm learning, you know, how to play a double team with the best technique possible and how to play scoop blocks with the best technique possible. And I'm learning more about the defense around me, right? So going for Mangini's defense, you were in a static 3-4 and you just took on, you know, you took on the guy ahead of you. There wasn't much thinking involved. You go into Rex's defense now, the defensive line has a lot more responsibility. I think that's a difference with Rex's defense than a lot of other defenses in the NFL. The defensive line has a lot of responsibility. You've got to move. You've got to shift front. You've got to pay attention to backfield sets. So it was really the, the marriage of two perfect worlds, right, with my, my knowledge from Eric Mangini and now my knowledge of actually playing defensive line and being a smart defensive lineman and learning, again, how to play the techniques and, and playing the position at a master level that Rex brought that allowed me to – have success not just, you know, the early parts of my career, but that carried me throughout my entire career and into my time in Kansas City. I mean, that's what got me that contract out there and allowed me to, to finish up out there was because of, you know, Rex and, and Eric. And so I'm, I'm forever grateful for those guys and how they taught me how to play the game. Mike, do you have a, you know, Rex Ryan memory that sticks out that we might have heard publicly? Obviously, we all know the let's get a goddamn snack on Hard Knocks, yeah. one of my favorites, <laughs> being a big guy and loving snacks. That was awesome, and that whole Hard Knocks experience was fun. But is there, like, a single story or something that, that sticks with you even today from Rex Ryan? It's so funny. So I was just thinking of this last night. And so the one thing that was great about Rex is it was really fun to come to work. And even when we were having some tough times, some down times, kept it light. You know, he was very, uh, he brought energy, he brought charisma. And so I would always laugh. We'd be in the defensive line room and he'd come in and he'd be rubbing his belly and he'd go, what's up, mother lovers? You know, and then he'd just come sit down and, and chop it up with us. And, you know, it was just, he's just such a funny guy. And that, that could have been after a loss, after a win. He just he he really made football fun, and so those those, those times that I had out in, in New York, those those what did I have four years of Rex, it was just so much fun to come to work. It was so much fun to play football, uh, and then forget it when you're winning under Rex Ryan and you're going to the playoffs in New York. There's nothing better than that, and so I was really lucky to have those opportunities as a player because a lot of guys don't get that. So I'm I'm really blessed. I assume lovers was replaced with an f bomb, and it wasn't mother lovers, right? No, no, no. That's really what he said. He oh. said mother lovers. <laughs> What's up, mother lovers? <laughs> you used to just—I mean, it didn't matter. You could be getting cussed out, you know, from your position coach, and it wouldn't matter. You just had to start laughing. You know what I mean? He just—he was so—he just made things so much fun. Mike, I think you know Jets fans love thinking back to those playoff runs, um, but I also think. It's interesting what happened after that and how the kind of the team kind of came apart because it seemed like you guys were going to go on a run. I think everyone thought after the Pittsburgh loss, like, okay, they, they're going to regroup and they'll be back in the playoffs next year. Maybe, you know, it's hard to get to the championship game every year, but figure be back in the playoffs. And then that eight and eight year in 2011, and then it goes six and 10 in 2012, and then you're gone. And basically, most of the team was gone by 2013. Did you kind of, what was the sense when that was happening? Did you kind of see things coming apart, or were you surprised at how poorly things went in 11 and 12? I was, I was surprised in 2011. In 2012, I had seen what happened in 2011, and I had seen that we didn't add the pieces that we needed. When I, and what I'll say is, 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 I really think, and this is my own fault as well, but I think we, we lost a lot of key leadership positions in 2010, key leaders in the locker room, right? He lost LT. Was LT back in 2011? He was there for 11, and then he was gone for 12, yep. Okay, okay, he was gone for 12. 
but you lost the Jason Taylors and you lost the Sean Ellis's. You lost some of the leaders. And the way Rex builds the team is you have some high character guys, high guys on the top that are leaders that are going to set the standard. The guys are going to have to answer to that are going to set the standard in the locker room. And then he's going to take, you know, he's going to take some shots on some character guys that might not, you know, might have a little bit of a rap sheet, but at the same time are going to win some games on Sunday. And so the key is to have a mix of both of those, right? Where you have great leadership is going to hold people accountable and you have the guys that are going to go out there and make plays and it doesn't matter, you know, sort of what they do on the weekends as long as we win. I think 2011, we lost some of those leaders. We had some more infighting. Once you have infighting, it's over. I mean, you just you, it's very hard to come back from that. And I think a lot of that infighting was a result of not having good leadership. Uh, and then in 2012, we just, you know, we lost everybody. We didn't replace the leaders. We didn't, uh, you know, we didn't replace. I, I know we had some injuries, some key injuries at the beginning of the season that hurt us as well. And so, yeah, so I think that was what, what played into it. And I and I take that on myself. I should have stepped up and, and done a better job. I mean, when you lose guys like Sean Ellis, you have to have guys that fill in for him and take not just that role on the field, but that role in the locker room. And we didn't we didn't have that. So, and I think that's really what hurt us. Because in 2011, we still had the talent. We, we still had all the all the pieces of the puzzle. You know, we, we couldn't get out of our own way. 2012, we lost a lot of guys. We had some key injuries at the beginning of the season, and I knew, okay, this is going to be this is going to be a problem. So, I think that that sort of, if I were to attribute, obviously there's a lot of things that go on in an NFL season, uh, but I think if I was going to attribute to anything, it would be the lack of lack of leadership those years. Mike, I hate to continue with the depression, but we do have to talk about the current Jets, which has been quite the depressing yeah. times. Uh, Kaz is, you know, has his phone right by him in case there's an Adam Gase firing notice coming at any point. We don't know, but what's happened? I mean, they're on their way to potential 0-16 season. Uh, it's just an absolute mess here. You watch the games. You talk about it on SMY. You talk about it on Three Point Stance Podcast. What's going on with the Jets? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, one thing I noticed yesterday when I was watching them, and, and it made me think back to my time in New York, is we think about some of the guys we've talked about, right? The Bart Scott, and got guys like uh, Al, the Alan Fanicus, and the DeBritton Shaw Ferguson, the Nick Mangold, and I mean, the Sioni Pujas, right? The, the David Harris's. It, it, it takes something special to be a good player in New York, and not just about your talent. You can be a good, a great player on the field. But you also have, a, have to have a certain swagger, a certain toughness to you, right? To make it in New York, you got to be tough, and you got to have a certain, you know, a certain charisma, a certain toughness, a certain swagger about you. And I just don't see that from anybody on the Jets. And you know, you guys know that out, that the outside media is tough, the fan base is, is passionate and tough, uh, and so you, it takes special, special people and a special group of people to succeed in New York. And I just, when I watch this team, I see a lot of, I see talented guys. But I don't see the guys like the guys, guys' names, right? I don't see the Bart Scotts out there. I don't see the, the, the Brickashaw Fergusons and, and, and the Sean Ellis's and those New York Jets-type players, right? Rex Ryan brought the, the, the motto, play like a Jet in. And you, you really knew that. You knew who the Jets were. You knew what a Jet was like, what those characteristics were like. And I just don't see that with the Jets, the, this team. I just see guys and good players, but just not Jets players. And so it, it, it's frustrating, right? See, I do hope, like, you know, like Makai Beckner, I think he's a Jet. I think he's a Jet through and through. I think he's going to be a guy who's got that toughness, that nasty to him. He plays on a Pro Bowl level as a rookie coming in with no offseason, no, you know, no nothing. 
and he comes in and he's playing like a pro bowler. So he's a guy. I think Quint Williams can be a guy if he continues to, you know, on the trend that he's on. But just you're missing you're missing those kind of New York Jets style players, and, and New York is a unique place to play. Like I said, there's a lot of different elements that other teams aren't dealing with, and so you got to have those special guys. And I just don't this this roster is missing those guys, uh, along with a lot of other things going on, obviously. But I think one of the key underlying things is you don't have that depth type players in their locker room. Yeah, I, I would add to that, Mike. It just feels like they have no identity on either side of the ball. Like it's you. What do they want to do? You know, the, the announcers love to say, oh, Greg Williams loves to blitz. Well, guess what? He ain't doing that this year because he doesn't trust his cornerbacks. You know, he's not blitzing like crazy. And on offense, I don't know what they are. I don't know what they want to be even because they, they haven't been able to do anything for two years with, with Gase here. You know, it's like they have no identity at all. Like you, you watch teams and you kind of – you know what they are. And you have no idea what this Jets team is. I was curious you mentioned Quinnen beyond the kind of his personality and can he be a Jet – I'm wondering what you're seeing from him. You know, you know the position as well as anybody. How, you know, what have you seen from him this year playing defensive tackle? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so hard because he he has that. He, he got drafted real high, and so everybody, I think, everybody's expecting the the JJ Watts and the Aaron Donalds, and he's not that kind of player. That that's not what he brings to the table. He he's a physical guy up front. He can get knocked back and get pushed. So he's like. He's a much better version of myself, right? But he's going to be a technique guy. He's going to play the run well. He's going to get you four or five, six sacks a season. I mean, he's going to, I can see him being a Pro Bowl player. And so, you, but, but he gets kind of, you know, the, the, the knock on him is obviously, is he living up to where he got drafted? And that's, that's hard. It's hard to assign, uh, it's hard to say, okay, is he that value? Is he not that value? I think, what I think is long term, he's a guy that you want on the team. Right? I mean, I think that's a guy that is, a, is going to be a pro bowl player uh, that has a great attitude uh, that seems to take criticism well. And so he, he's a guy that you want to build around that you want to keep. I was glad. I remember there was rumors to trade him. I was glad they didn't trade him. Uh, I think he's a guy that, that you want to keep and you want to build around. He's not a guy that's going to have problems off the field. And he, and he delivered well on Sunday. I mean, I do. I see it. I, I, don't, I don't see the Aaron Donald that I think everybody kind of hoped for and expects. But I see a really good defensive lineman. I mean, he is way better than I ever was in my prime. You know, I mean, I mean, he's he's just a fantastic player. So, so again, I, I don't know. I, you guys probably know, but I mean, I mean how, how do you evaluate a guy when he gets drafted that high? I mean, is, is he supposed to be the Aaron Donald? I mean, and obviously that's what you hope for. But do you get rid of a guy because he's not that? Because he doesn't live up maybe to the position to you know where he got drafted. I, I don't I don't know. Especially nowadays in this CBA where the rookies aren't getting picked. You know this isn't a seventy million dollar hit you're going to take because you got this guy. I mean he's probably I don't know what was he making four or five million dollars a year. Yeah, so that's what I was making in my prime, right? And he's much better than I am. So it seems to be a good value. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy you keep around, even though he might not be you know whatever. Where did he get picked? Two or three, something. Third, like third, yeah. And it's funny because I had yeah. a, I, I had this conversation with Todd Bowles a bunch of times, and it wasn't about Quinning because Quinning wasn't here with Todd. But Todd would always get frustrated when we would be on um, Muhammad Wilkerson or Leonard Williams or Sheldon Richardson and saying, "Why aren't they getting sacks?" And Todd would always say to me, "Like those are interior defensive linemen; they don't get a lot of sacks. Like you guys have to get over the sacks thing, you know." And it's but it's it is what is ingrained is like. You know, and I think Aaron Donald has changed it where everyone wants him to be Aaron Donald, like you said. 
Well, yeah, and that's and that, that, that's exactly right. And and you gotta you guys hit on it too with with Gray Williams and uh, the defense struggling in the back end. When you when you're a secondary struggling, forget it. It's it's hard to get it's hard to get back there. And there's not a lot that Greg Williams can do. I mean, you can you can dial up some simulated pressures. You can you know there's some things you can do, but really it's just you're your four down linemen rushing the passer. And so you know, and who are they going to double team on that line? I mean, they're, they're going to focus on Quinn over everybody else. So you know, it's hard. he's in a hard position. It's it's not a lot. You know, I I. I had the benefit of having Revis and Cromartie and then, you know, the 500 DBs that uh, Rex was going to bring off the edge because he could, <laughs> you know, walk, he could single up on the one and two receivers. And so, you know, it's, it's just not like that for, for Greg Williams and, and for Quinton. So, uh, but, but again, guys, I, I just, I would hate to see them get rid of him. He's such a, he's such a solid player. I think he's a, and a young player. And boy, does he, does he look the part too? I mean, he's a big, solid guy in there so i think i think he's a guy you've got to keep around and build around yeah and he might be the only one right now on this team so there's not yeah. many other guys yeah. in the defense we could talk about who will be here potentially in five years mike devito is with us for a few more minutes on gangs all here you can follow him on twitter at mike devito 70 and follow his podcast at three point stands pod um and see him on sny as well mike uh, you then went to Kansas City, and Andy Reid, you got there when he first got there, and look at him now, Super Bowl champ. He's got you know the greatest quarterback on the planet. What was it like in you know the first years of the Andy Reid era in Kansas City? You know, I, I really had the full spectrum of coaches, right? I, I had Eric Mantini, who's the Bill Belichick style, very micromanage everything, um, and, and, and about the little details. And then I had the polar opposite, right, where it was, uh, Rex Ryan, where it was kind of like, listen, I don't care what you guys do. We just got to win on Sunday and we got to have fun doing it. And then I had, uh, Andy Reid, who's right in the middle, right? He, he has, he, he let guys be themselves. He let guys have fun, but at the same time, he had rules. He had things that, uh, a very systematic approach. Everything had a purpose. Every rule had a reason. And you just knew he knew how to win football games. That was, it was just, Again, it was it was great to see all three and get to be a part of all three coaching styles. Going up to the fan base out there was great too. You know, I came from New York, which is very passionate, very love hate, and I know that my old, my old, my family's full of New Yorkers, so I I totally get it. That's how we, that's just how we are. When you got out to Kansas City, Kansas City's fan base was much more reminded me of like a Nebraska or a Mississippi State or something that these teams I played in college, where uh, the fan base was very diehard. They were they were always there, you know, you have pep rallies and things like that. And so uh, it was it was really fun to be a part of that. And it was, it was a good transition out of the NFL. New York was 100 miles an hour. We got to Kansas City. My wife and I had kids. Things slowed down a little bit. And it was a good transition to to retirement. Uh, but I had a lot of fun out there. It, it, it's really, I take a pride in the fact that we sort of laid the foundation uh, and, and sort of got things going out there with Andy Reid. And obviously had some good seasons. Uh, I also think, man, could I have kept playing till, <laughs> till uh, uh, the Pat Mahomes era? Like that must be that must have been a lot of fun. It must be. I watch those guys now, and I still have some friends on the team, and I'm just like, I'm so jealous, you guys. I'm so jealous. Um, uh, but I'm really happy. It's a team you love to watch doing well, right? You have a lot of guys. The one thing I was always impressed with out in Kansas City was you had a lot of guys who, you know, every year the Pro Bowl was full of Kansas City Chiefs players. You know, you had guys like Eric Berry and Justin Houston and Tom Baha Lee and Derek Johnson, all these guys. 
And yet you still have to work, and you think these guys are going to act like superstars, and they acted just like the undrafted free agents. They're working their tails off. Tom Bahali, you go in, you go into the facility at any point in time, Tom Bahali's in there doing something. And so it was really impressive to see these guys work like undrafted free agents when they had every reason to act like the all-pros that they were. And so, yeah, I had a, I had a lot of fun out there. And it was, uh, again, another – I'm really blessed to have the career that I had and, and be part of the organization that I was with. Mike, the last one from me, uh, along those lines with Kansas City. So you went to Kansas City in 2013. Kansas City had been – they were 2-14 and 14 in 2012 and had the number one pick in 2013. So there's some similarities to what free agents and if there's a new head coach coming in next year with the Jets, what you, you guys turned it around and went 11-5 and five in that first year and went to the playoffs. You know, Personally, I look at this Jets team, I don't think there's any way this is going to be a quick turnaround. But, you know, what was the key to that turnaround for you guys? Was it getting Alex Smith in there? What Like, what was it that enabled you guys? I know you weren't there in 12, but to, to turn it around that quickly and get things on the right path. Yeah, I think I think everything was in place. I think it was just the Andy Reid. You needed the Andy Reid philosophy. You needed what Andy Reid brought to the table, which is hard work. Everything with a purpose, everything with a reason, and and, and uh, they just they were missing that. You had all the pieces. It was nice to have Alex Smith, obviously, uh, but you had all the other pieces. You had the Jamal Charles. You had the offensive line. You had the defensive line. You had great players, and so it was just about Andy Reid implementing his philosophy and guys buying in. And guys bought in from day one. When you have a, a coach come in like that who has the the resume that Andy Reid has, it's easy to to buy in. And you knew he knew how to win. Uh, and so everybody bought in right away, and then it's game over when you have all those when you have those those type of players, those, those quality of players uh, with Andy Reid's system. It's game over, and it's been it's been like that every year. And in fact, up until about two years ago, they ha- they basically had ninety percent of the same roster. I mean, the first five years of Andy Reid being over there, they kept the same players, and so that obviously uh, has a lot to do with it. When you have the same guys who playing together, who have built those relationships on and off the field. That's a potent, potent thing, and so, so yeah. So I think I think a lot of it is Andy Reid's philosophy, and then forget it. You get a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and it's game over. Yeah, the Jets have been flipping guys like pancakes on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty insane how that's been going for them. When you said full yeah. spectrum of coaches at first, I thought you were talking about the circumference of their bellies because Andy Reid and, <laughs> and Rex Ryan were a couple of big fellas. So uh, there are a couple different yeah. uh, uh, full spectrums there. Mike, uh, I ha- the last one from me. I can confirm. I haven't done my research, but I'm pretty sure you are our first main resident uh, that's been a guest on Gangs All Here. Is there like a, a I don't I don't frequent Maine much, but is there a go to lobster spot? Everyone talks about lobster in Maine, but do you have like some Maine recommendations if I visit? Yeah, there's McLaughlin's lobster lobster shack up here in, in Hamden where I am. But here's the deal. This is kind of like pizza in Brooklyn, right? The standard is set so high. <laughs> Yeah. That no matter where you go, it's going to be a nine out of ten. Like, you can't if you do bad lobster, you won't be in the lobster business uh, <laughs> up here. So no matter where you go, you're going to get a good lobster. Just like no matter where you go in Brooklyn, you're going to get a good slice of pizza. So yeah, I don't think you can go wrong. I think the best go along the the, the, the coast. I go along the old Orchard beaches and the Bar Harbors and get a nice seat next to the to the ocean, looking out. And then have that lobster roll. Now you can bet combining the ambiance with the good food forget it that's what Maine has to offer what makes like the perfect lobster like I just got in a lobster a couple years ago and I love it it's just obviously very expensive especially here in New York you go to you take a girl out to a lobster dinner and a couple drinks it's $200 easy waiting to happen uh what makes like the perfect lobster 
Oh, that's a good question. So for me, I, I like the the, the 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 ratio of lobster to mayonnaise to <laughs> celery, right? So you got to have some. So I, I like a lobster roll, right? So I guess I should preface mm. it. I, I love a lobster roll. Got to have the right amount of mayonnaise, get the right amount of celery in there, a little bit of sea salt on top. Hey, the, the lobster is going to be the lobster. I mean, unless it's undercooked or something, the lobster up here is is, is good lobster. So you ain't going to go wrong there. It's how it's prepared. Uh, and, and that's why, and I don't like a, a huge hot dog bun, right? So some, some of these places think if they make this big, huge hot dog bun, it's going to be better. But I, I like a smaller hot dog bun with the lobster just, you know, all over it, right? So you have to use your fork at the end to eat the rest of it. So that's kind of how I like it. Everybody's different, but I, I think that, uh, you can't go wrong as far as lobster is concerned up here. I mean, it's just, it's so good. I'm ready to go, Jake. I'm ready to go. Let's yeah, go. we're going on a road trip, a COVID road trip to get lobster. So you're, because so you're, they, they have a lobster truck here in Astoria. It's, I, I think it's Cousin Maine's or something. It was on like Shark Tank. And uh, I guess a Maine lobster is cold and a Connecticut lobster is hot. I'm a hot guy. You must be a cold guy. Well, no, I can, well, I can do it. I, yeah, I guess Maine lobster is mostly cold, but I, I do like it hot as well. I do like it hot as well. Yeah, so no doubt, no doubt. You know what I, I love it in? Like uh Spaghetti with butter and and lobster. Forget it. I was oh, oh man. man, I give you. Oh, wow, you're gonna have me go eating right now. But uh, <laughs> little Parmesan cheese on there. But yeah, no, I could. I can. I mean, I'm 300 pounds, guys. I, just any any way, any way with a hot, cold, whatever. Let's just let's go. Let's <laughs> I was 235, you know, Wednesday night, but I might be 300 after the weekend. So uh, I'm getting close. This this is the analysis that matters in a in a winless jet season is lobster talk. This is what the people came here for. They came to hear Mike DeVito break down mayonnaise, hot dog buns, and lobster, and the state of Maine. This is what counts on the gang. Hey, if anybody's going to remember anything about me from New York, it's how I didn't fit into that uniform, man. That big old face that I had, big stomach hanging out. So you can, you might not trust me on third down, but you can trust me when it comes to food. Oh, I, I see you recently. It looks like you're you're slimmed down. The post retirement, the you're still jacked. You got the muscles going. So uh, you know, New York will do that, man. The food you just eat so much chicken parm here and pizza, like you talked about, and that that happens. So uh, oh, you know, I used to I used to love the criticisms because you know, say we had a bad game and they and you hear the criticisms and it would be Sanchez is awful and they can't do anything on defense and this drive receiver stinks and DeVito is so bad. Why is DeVito so bad? <laughs> just needs to get a pizza restaurant. What is wrong with you know what I mean? Like that was never like what I did on the field. It was just like, oh my goodness, it's gross. <laughs> so I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. I'm trying to get right. <laughs> See, you're a defensive lineman. You can be fat. That's part of the job. That's like you know, That's re- right. a requirement. Have a big belly. You're hired, and then they, there you go. Have some muscle. Um, Mike, <laughs> exactly right. Mike Devito. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Devito seventy. Check out the Three Point Stance podcast and see him on SNY as well. Mike, it was uh, great catching up with you, man. We appreciate the time, and you know, enjoy your lobster the rest of the way. Uh-huh. I appreciate it. I miss you guys a ton. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And that says a tout à l'heure to episode 52, the John Schmidt edition of Gangs All Here, our Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out in producing the show. Show Gangs All Here some love. Give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review after you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We will be back on Thursday previewing the Jets matchup with the Raiders. Talk to you all then. Stay safe, folks. What's up, mother lovers?